Illuminated by Water. That is the title of the new book from Malachi Talek, award-winning author. He's had uh, several novels and books, The Valley at the Center of the World, 60 Degrees North, and now his latest Illuminated by Water. It basically digs into his fly fishing story. By the way, he's also an award-winning singer-songwriter. He likes to write books about community memory, the relationship between people and places. Malachi Talek, coming up next. I've been holding out for you Fly Fishing 97 podcast is powered by theflycrate.com, an online fly shop. Join the Quarterly Fly Club today, your source for all things fly fishing. And wait for it films. For action-packed fly fishing videos and camera-related content, check out Wait For It Films on YouTube or at www.thewaitcreativeco.com. And Broken Tippet Fly Company, blog and fishing apparel and accessories check them out online at brokentippet.com you, you, you are listening you are listening you are listening to the fly fishing 97 podcast yeah i i i'd had the idea in my head for a long time that i that i'd quite like you know i enjoy reading fishing books and i'm a writer that's how I earn my living and so I I had thought well at some point I'd like to do that but I I worried about whether it was you know whether it was possible how I was going to do it so on um what kicked it off really was the pandemic I was um the the very first lockdown that we had here in in Scotland um in the spring of of 2020 we were not really allowed to go out for more than an hour a day, something like that. We're not allowed to go fishing. And obviously everyone during that time was, um, was missing certain things. They were feeling that restriction, even, you know, we, we knew that it was necessary. We knew why it was happening, but you, you feel the loss. Um, and one of the things that I, felt the loss of was fishing it seemed to me that that was one of the ways in which i felt a real sense of 
connection with the world. And so it was during that time, that spring, that I thought, well, okay, if I'm going to write this book, I'm going to do it now. This is the time to think about what this means to me. And so I, I started making notes during that spring and I started to think about, well, what are the different elements of fishing that, that really interest me, um, that I really want to explore? Um, and so one of the first pieces that I wrote for the book was about fly tying because that was something that we could do during lockdown oh, yeah. um, and it was something that I that I hadn't done since really I hadn't done much since I was a teenager so I'd given away the stuff that I had when I was younger and so quite early on in, in that lockdown I ordered a whole new fly tying kit I ordered all of this stuff um, and I sat down and I started to tie flies and that that made me start to think about what well what kind of flies do I want and why do I want these flies and so that that set off a whole chapter in in the book really was was thinking about fly time which is which is a much more complicated activity sometimes than we imagine it is the fly fishing 97 podcast is brought to you by the fly crate the fly crate is an online fly shop where you can save more on flies and gear shop between hundreds of unique flies and join the quarterly fly club for hand-picked fly assortments for each season exclusively for our podcast listeners you can save an additional 10 percent on the fly crate by using the code flyfish97 Go to theflycrate.com and use the code FLYFISH97 at checkout to save 10%. Well, I'm really happy you chose to join us this time around for the FLYFISH97 podcast. We're going to do what we love to do on this show, and that is search out passionate people in the fly fishing space. And we're going to head across the pond today. Uh, we're headed to uh, Scotland, actually. We've got Malachi Talek on the line. Now, Malachi is, well, he's, he's an author. He's a singer, songwriter, passionate fly fisher. I think fly fishing basically sounds like after reading the book that it kind of encompasses all. Um, he's joining us today from his home in um, Scotland. We'll find out exactly where. He has written quite a few books, 60 Degrees North, uh, The Valley at the Center of the World. Uh, and now he's got a new book out called Illuminated by Water. He's also an award-winning uh, singer-songwriter. And he takes some pretty unique looks into things. And I think uh, this fly fishing story is one that really needs to be heard. Uh, Malachi, thanks for, for, for coming on the program today. I really appreciate it. Oh, thanks so much for inviting me. I'm glad to be here. So I always like to start at the beginning of your journey. So, um, and it's, uh, you talk about it a little bit in the book for sure. Um, so why don't you walk us through, first off, before we talk about the book, like your story, how you came to find fly fishing. When did it first kind of appear in, in your world? Well, I, I suppose like, like most fly fishers, I started fairly young, but I, I and I didn't begin with, fly fishing. My brother and I both started fishing when we were, I guess, seven, eight years old. And that was float fishing for um, roach and, and carp and things, which we lived in the, in the south of England 
at that time. But when I was um, 10 years old, we moved to the Shetland Islands in the far north of, of Scotland, out in, the, out in the North Atlantic. And, um, you know, Shetlands are a, a very interesting place and very different from where we had previously grown up. But one of the great things about Shetland is that it has a lot of brown trout. It has amazing brown trout fishing. And so quite quickly, we both started to fish for trout and then decided to kind of move towards fly fishing. And at that time, I didn't know anyone who fly fished. So I, we kind of had to teach ourselves um, from, you know, I'm really envious of um, people who take up fishing now and there's, there's YouTube videos and there's all of this <laughs> stuff to help you learn. Back then, we learned from looking at a book and trying to figure it out. And it, it took a long time. But, you know, there's, there's, there's nowhere better to, to learn than Shetland. It is, it's such a great place for fishing. So I suppose I was probably about 13 at, at that time mm. when I was flailing away with a fly rod trying to catch wild brown trout. It strikes me in this book, um, Illuminated by Water, that you you don't take your fly fishing, like you take your fly fishing seriously, but you kind of, you poke a little bit of fun at it in the way that you're, you're you don't claim to be, you know, this uh, amazing rod that's been in all these competitions and knows entomology inside and out and creates these beautiful fly patterns, which I know you do. Um, but you, I thought you seemed a little hard on your fishing, actually. I'm sure you, I'm sure you do a little better than you, than you let on. Well, I, I didn't want anyone to open this book thinking they were going to learn how to catch more fish from it, because I don't think, I don't think that's the case. Um, I'm an, I'm an okay angler um i'm i'm decent and i'm i'm probably slightly better than decent in in situations that i that i know well such as fishing in in lochs in yeah. in parts of scotland and shetland um but the kind of the the technical aspect of it and the the, the sort of aiming to be the best has never been the bit that has brought the the pleasure for me and actually one of the things i realized when i was writing the book was that one um element of pleasure i find is in is in being not very good at it sometimes it's in trying to learn some new part of fishing some mm -hmm. new technique where you have to start out um almost start over again and feel like a feel like a beginner again there's that there's a pleasure to that yeah. too well, there's so much to know, uh, and I, 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 there's not, I shouldn't, I mean, I guess anything, when you do a deep dive into any pastime, hobby, sport, you know, the learning curve is steep, but it, it, in this, it truly never ends, and that is one thing that we, we like to talk about on the show, and I think um, if you can admit that and be okay with that, then there's peace in that, too. It's like, I'm not going to, I'm never going to know it all, right? Yeah, and, uh, you know, s some of that knowledge that that people try to gather i f i find quite interesting and some of it i just don't care about you know you don't have to care about every part of it you don't have to be able to tell every type of insect apart in order to enjoy fishing yeah 100% um 
and and that just isn't the bit that for me I, I I'm trying to trying to get that isn't the knowledge I'm trying to get and actually you know there's a lot of pleasure for me in the mystery. Fishing is a really mysterious business. And sometimes I think as anglers, we can we can try to erase that mystery. And actually, we're losing something if we do that. Mm, yeah, that's a fair comment. I, I'm like that with casting. Like as much as I admire somebody that can amazingly cast, it's not mm-hmm. something I spend a lot of time doing, you know? Not like at the tying bench or... Even uh-huh. just looking for the Holy Grail, which I think that's something you kind of talk about in this. And I think as fly fishers, we can all relate to that. So mm-hmm. uh, before we dig into the book a little, I, I just want to know, now you said you weren't really, it didn't sound like you had a lot of influences. You kind of discovered a lot of it on your own. But if you had to look back and name some names and say, okay, this this person, uh, you know, I, I saw at a, a fly shop or um you know, on the water, I learned from who? Who would you cite as influences in your your journey? Well, so when I was first starting out, as I said, I I, I didn't know anglers at that point, or I didn't know anyone who fly fished, and so learning those techniques, I did it on my own. But by the time I I was kind of able to cast and started to catch a few fish then i also started to to meet a few more people who who fished and 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 shetland has a lot of anglers it has quite a lot of fly fishers and it has a really active um fishing club the, the shetland anglers association and there were a lot of people in that um club who were really kind to me when i was when i was growing up you know they were really generous in taking me out fishing sometimes taking me to to fishing competitions which i i did a bit when i was a teenager or they would just take me out at the weekend and these weren't people i was related to these weren't people that were friends with my parents they just saw somebody who who wanted to do this and they i guess they recognized a bit of themselves in that and they would they would take me out and i was just you know i'm i'm incredibly grateful to them looking back and there were quite a lot of of people who who would do that it, re- it really made an enormous difference because neither of my parents fished so mm-hmm. i was reliant on st- people who who were strangers in some ways i find it i find it fascinating as a hobby as a pastime um how helpful you know as a community fly fishers can be, because I think that's true. And I think that's pretty evident when you look online, you look on YouTube, you look in um, any book, any people share. And, and there's some, um, it's kind of this handing down of the pastime to the next generation. I think there's a lot of pride that as fly fishers, we all take in that. Does does that make sense? Yeah, I I definitely think so. And, and, you know, one thing I think about sometimes is, (sighs) you know in entrusting your children to to strangers to take them out is not something that every parent would be would be willing to do and you mm-hmm. you can under, you can understand that but there there's there's so much to be gained from those kinds of relationships with um older people who are not 
family members, older people who are kind of imparting knowledge and sharing their their love for this for this hobby. Mm-hmm. Well, why don't we dig into the book, Illuminated by Water? So, um, something that you know, I've I've got to be honest, I haven't read your other books, but I I did uh, do a deep dive into into your uh, let's say um, the other books, whether they're fiction or nonfiction that you've written, and you really tell a story in all these books. And something that the common denominator that my takeaway was is how you talk about um, the relationship that you have with a certain place. And I think fly fishing is really, really, you get it, whether you're on that lock that, you, you know, you're, you're on your own, you're spending time on it, you get kind of intimate knowledge with it, but never really get to know it totally. And for me, that's kind of cool. I, I noticed that as a theme kind of inter, interweaved in your book, but let, let's talk about this, this journey. Like when you started writing it, what kind of kicked it off and what made you go, you know, I think I want to write about fishing. <laughs> well, yeah, I... I'd had the idea in my head for a long time that I that I'd quite like. You know, I enjoy reading fishing books, and I'm a writer. That's how I earn my living. And so I I had thought, well, I, at some point I'd like to do that. But I I worried about whether it was, you know, whether it was possible, how I was going to do it, so on. Um, what kicked it off really was the pandemic. I was um, the the very first lockdown that we had here in in scotland um in the spring of of 2020 we were not really allowed to go out for more than an hour a day something like that we we're not allowed to go fishing Ooh. and obviously everyone during that time was um was missing certain things they were feeling that restriction even the, you know, we we knew that it was necessary. We knew why it was happening, but you you feel the loss. Um, and one of the things that I felt the loss of was fishing. It seemed to me that that was one of the ways in which I felt a real sense of connection with the world. And so, it was during that time, that spring, that I thought, well, okay, if I'm going to write this book I'm going to do it now this is the time to think about what this means to me and so I I started making notes during that spring and I started to think about well what are the different elements of fishing that that really interest me um, that I really want to explore um, and so one of the first pieces that I wrote for the book was about fly tying because that was something that we could do during lockdown, oh, yeah. um, and it was something that I that I hadn't done since really I hadn't done much since I was a teenager. So I'd given away the stuff that I had when I was younger, and so quite early on in in that lockdown, I ordered a whole new fly tying kit. I ordered all of this stuff, um, and I sat down and I started to tie flies, and that that made me start to think about what well what kind of flies do i want and why do i want these flies and so that that set off a whole chapter in in the book really was was thinking about fly tying which is which is a much more complicated activity sometimes than we imagine it is 
It, it There was a lot of tires that came to light during the last couple of years, and uh, I, I almost feel like we're in the, the golden years of fly tying, as odd as that sounds, because I think a lot of people found it, and a lot of people rediscovered it again. And I know I was one that really, my tying, I, I, might, I might have tied in the past maybe once a week, maybe, you know, more of a winter thing here in, in where mm-hmm. I'm at, in my neck of the woods. But I'll tell you, it is unbelievable to me the quality of tires out there and and how much the pandemic kind of improved our bench time any thoughts on that i just think that there's a lot of common denominators there also with writing i mean there's books coming out now people have been working on because they some people had more time right yeah i think that's exactly right you know that the the pandemic gave a lot of people time that they wouldn't otherwise have had but it also forced them to think about things differently. You know, you, you think about what you're not allowed to do. You, you think about what you're missing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so I suspect there are a lot of books co- going to be coming out that, that were written during lockdown and, and so on. How long has your book been out? When did you release it exactly? So it, it came out in july in the uk and it came out in in august in north america mm, so it's it's new so it's, and, it's new yeah and this is airing uh well in a couple of days so uh it's it's almost i try to do these as much in real time as i possibly can i used to do them mm-hmm. like weeks in advance and i found sometimes somehow i kind of lost you know we'd we'd be you know six months into the pandemic and we'd be talking pre-pandemic and it, as you know <laughs> it just didn't work it was like no uh, we need to uh, be a little more current Hmm. So talk to me about your writing and what it does for you. Because I, I have a feeling that fly fishing and writing both do something similar. And, you know, but I'd love to hear in your words. What what would you say is is kind of kindred in those two hobbies? Hmm. That's, a, that's a complicated question. <laughs> um, you know, I, I think one of the fascinating things about fly fishing in particular but but maybe all all kinds of fishing really is is that it requires two almost contradictory kinds of mental activity i suppose there's a there's an intense concentration that goes on it whether you're watching a fly on the surface or watching a float on the surface or whether you're kind of using your fingers to to feel what you can't see there's a concentration on the end of your line but there's also this sort of drifting of attention you know when i'm fishing i'm i'm very focused on my fly but i'm also allowing my thoughts to drift i'm i'm noticing uh other things that are that are going on around me but i'm thinking a little bit about um my maybe my work and um, maybe people I know. So there's there's this two slightly contradictory things going on. There's the drifting of the mind around this very focused point. And actually, I think there is something connected to writing there because writing does involve that in, in intense focus on the, on the word or, or the line or the paragraph that you're working on. But you're also allowing the imagination to to move and to 
to drift and to notice. So there's 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 something connected there for mm-hmm. me. And I don't I don't think it's a coincidence that there are so many fishing books and so many writers who fish as well. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Um, and it's such, the thing is too, is you're in such beautiful places, right? So just mm-hmm. even capturing that on paper. I mean, I, I know as, as a fly fisher, I daydream about fishing all the time. I dream about fishing all the time. It's always, mm-hmm. it's always kind of in my mind. And, and to be quite honest, I'm not an avid reader, not, I'm more of an article, you know, it's, it's rare I'll sit down and pick up a novel, but I think after doing this, it's something that I'm, is missing in my world, um, and I really enjoyed your book. I really did. So thank you. tell me about, um, I, we'll get back to the book, but I always like to interweave in the show your story. I want to hear about you. Like, are you ready for a few questions that uh, might not have a lot to do with your, your fishing journey? <laughs> That's all right. That's okay. all right. Yeah. Um, let's talk music. Um, and as uh-huh. I know you're a musician, I did listen to uh, From the Thorn, Edges and Spaces, mm-hmm. um, and it's it's obvious whatever you do, you are all in, very passionate individual. But if you are sitting in your truck or car and you're headed to, you know, one of your favorite destination uh, with a fly rod, what are you listening to? Hmm. Oh, that's a difficult question. You know, I, I, I've i always been um, passionate about, I suppose people who get classed as singer-songwriters, so you know, I love I love Bob Dylan. I love Neil Young. I love people like like that. Um, recently, I've been listening to a lot of of country music. This is a, a a thing that happened during the pandemic as well. Suddenly, I I started to take this interest in in country music, which hadn't been something that um, I was so enthusiastic about previously. Mm-hmm. Um, but but that's been a a new passion for me. So I'm kind of exploring that a bit more at the moment. I love it. Any, any artists come to mind that you're, you're fond of? Um, yeah, I, I mean, I've, I've been listening to, well, I've been listening to a lot of, uh, Emmylou Harris mm. and yeah. Loretta Lynn and George Jones. It's a kind of classic country, I suppose you'd say. Yeah. Yeah. They, that, that music tells a story for sure. Mm, definitely. Let's talk about patterns. So, um, assuming, and, and let's make this specific, you know, and let's not talk about a, you know, a, a small stream or river. Let's talk about kind of your, your home waters, lock style fishing mm-hmm. for the most part. What's a pattern you reach for, uh, Maliki, more often than not? Like, so if you're, you know, opening up that fly box, what's a go-to for you? Okay. So if I'm fishing in, in Shetland, which is obviously the, the, the place that I know best, um, Almost every time, if I'm starting out, I will put on some version of a a sedge. So there's a pattern that I would call a sedge hog, which I I don't know if that's the, the right name for it. But essentially, it's just a very it's it's such a simple fly. It's just a hook wrapped in dubbing with several tufts of deer hair at the top to keep it on the surface. Um, and I, I don't bother with um, putting floatant on it because it, it it just has to be high up and and close to the surface, mm-hmm. um, and it it doesn't matter if I'm seeing fish rising because in my experience, 
brown trout will often come come up to that, even if they're not rising to anything else. Even if there's sedges on the water and they're not coming up to those natural insects, they will sometimes come up to this big bushy fly that, and I, I I'll retrieve that. I don't I, I'll let it sit for ten twenty seconds, and then I'll just kind of pull it through the waves because you know usually Shetland's a windy place it's not normal the surface isn't normally calm you're normally fishing in, yeah. in waves and so I just pull it through and I make a commotion um, and very often the fish will come up yeah. for that so I usually have that on on the dropper and then I'll just put something else on the tail kind of behind it um, and, and sometimes the fish will come up and, and look at the, the big fly and then they'll take the the more sensible pattern on on the tail. Yeah, yeah. Give them an option. Big meal or something that's everywhere surrounding them. <laughs> Trout are funny. Yeah. You know, we we try to figure them out and you know we never will. Uh, there's days where we feel like we have it figured out, but I guess that's why we keep coming back. Hmm. Let's talk about um, places where you kind of get your fix in fly fishing. So, like, is is there, and I know fly shops in the UK are quite different than here in North America, um, but is is there a shop that you go to that you kind of get your fix when you're not, you know, on the water, or is there a coffee shop, a brew pub, something like that? You know, I, I think you're right. I think that it is a bit different, um, and I I suspect that there are, places where there is a, a local tackle shop and, and and they they will know the the local anglers and there's this kind of relationship and people stop and and chat um but unfortunately i think that that's kind of changed a bit there was that when i was young there there, there was that in in the town i in lerwick where i grew up in in shelton there was a tackle shop and i would stop in and and speak to the owner but i don't have that around here there's a great big tackle shop that is serves a really wide area and they i, I don't think they know most of the people who, who go in so it's 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 a bit different and i think that's that's a, a shame but it's it's like a lot of small shops mm-hmm. kind of close down and get replaced by big shops and yeah, that's a unfortunately that's a global thing, and, and, and yeah. you're right. The fly shop is is a special place in my mind for sure. Mm. Yeah, L- let's talk sports. Are are you a sports fan at all? Like, is there a football team you pull for? Is there, uh, you know, are you cricket, <laughs> rugby? Uh, I I have to give a really disappointing answer. No, no, no not no. at all. Okay. I'm not. I'm not at all a, a, a sports person. Yeah. Um, I take no interest. Fair. whatsoever <laughs> yeah it's just i always like to kind of i don't know why but um somehow it's it's either intertwined people are all in or they're just not bothered and and it sounds like maybe yeah. maybe the latter <laughs> it's it's funny and i don't know whether that's like i'm not at all competitive with with fishing either and I, when i was when i was a teenager i did it a bit i would fish in competitions but i just found i didn't care enough whether i whether I won or not, and you can't do competition fishing unless you care. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, if I fish with a friend, fish with my brother, it doesn't matter to me who who, who catches more. So I just don't have this. I just don't really have a com- competitive streak. It's funny. Yep, I, I can relate to that, actually. Um, 
let's talk about um, what fly fishing brings into your world. And I know this is a loaded question, but um, kind of give us your thoughts on why we spend, not we, but you specifically, why do you spend so much time, you know, on these locks, chasing these fish, writing about it, sitting at the vice, tying patterns that you can hopefully hook some fish with? What, what does it bring into your world, I guess is what I'm asking. Yeah, that is a big question. That is, that's the question, isn't it? Uh, yeah. I mean, that's, that's the question that's at, at the heart of, of this book. Um, and I suppose what I'd say is there's lots of different answers and lots of different elements to the answer because it brings all kinds of things. I think all of us who, who fish feel when we, when we really think about it, that that fishing is quite a complicated thing in in our lives. It's it's more than one kind of of pleasure, as you you said before. You know, you 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 think about fishing when you're not fishing. You daydream about it. Um, if if I were to boil it down, and I'm not sure if boiling it down is a, is a good idea, but I think that the one thing that it it really brings for me is hope because ultimately when you're fishing that's what it's all about you be you're enjoying fishing as long as you're hopeful you're always looking forward um to the the next rise um the next bite um it's it's that kind of the the, the tension that that builds from hope and optimism and expectation that's that's the real source of the the pleasure you know I've, I, mm-hmm. lots of people have um they ask can you can you really enjoy a day's fishing if you don't catch anything and the answer you know we all know the answer to that is yes you can but you enjoy it much less <laughs> if you if you lose the expectation of catching a fish you know so long as there's always that hope yeah then then you enjoy it I but do. you're not going to enjoy fishing in a piece of water where there aren't any fish yeah. <laughs> you've got no hope of catching them sometimes, sometimes it feels that way <laughs> <laughs> it can feel that way yeah yeah it's uh it, it is such a fascinating fast time and pastime sorry that that is the reason actually that i started the show and i felt that when i read your book i'm like we really need to talk because this is exactly what this show is about it's like why like (laughs) why do we spend all this time and and what are we getting out of it and what does it bring to your world to me that's that's why i why do we do anything but fishing has just been a weird one for me it's just like and i'm the same as you ever since i was a little kid i just i can't stop thinking about it (laughs) And it doesn't matter yeah. how old I get. I just, I love it. And, you know, the thing is, any answer that I offer, I immediately think, oh, well, I didn't speak about this because, you know, fishing also offers this kind of feeling of connection with with the world and with places and with beautiful places in particular that I don't get in any other way. I never feel that. Um, like if I, sometimes I go out looking at birds or just walking or whatever, and, and I don't get that same intense feeling mm. of being in a place and of coming to know a place that I get with fishing. And so that's 
that's another of the reasons that I do it. And there's also a feeling of freedom that comes mm-hmm. from fishing that is different from any other feeling of freedom that I experience. So there's all these different elements that make it such an interesting thing to think about and write about. Something you talk about in the book um, is is birding, bird watching. I mean, and we all do that, whether it, and gardening. It's it, it's observation for me. Like it's for some reason, I think the one unique thing that all fly fishers bring is you need to have a keen sense of observation. Otherwise, mm-hmm. it's going to be a difficult hobby. <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. 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 Now, do you have a day job? Do you? I mean, is writing your your be all end all in music, or is it like do you have um, a nine to five kind of thing too? No, I don't have a nine to five job. Um, I I earn my living from Excellent. books, just about. I had little odds and ends of other work, but yeah. but mostly from books. Are you doing your best job? So, if you look back on your on your career. Um, do you go now, okay, this is where I want to be? Or is there something you've done in the past that was maybe uh, the dream job? No, I, I mean, I I always felt like I wasn't really cut out for, for doing nine-to-five work. Um, Who I, is? <laughs> I, <laughs> you know, most of my life I've done kind of bits of part-time work, a bit of this, a bit of that, and that suited me to some extent. But it's it's also it's it's a tough way to earn a living and it can feel a bit insecure. Mm-hmm. Um, writing means that I can organize my days as I want to for the most part. And obviously, you know, there's, there's pressure to, to write a book and there's pressure for it to, to sell once it's it's published. Um, but it's it, it's a kind of, it's a pleasure to be able to, to do this, I mm-hmm. suppose. Yeah. Yeah. What's the worst job you've ever had? What, what have you what have you done in your past you know you might have to go back a ways for this one but man why am i doing this well the, the worst was full-time work you know it almost didn't matter what it was it was just the fact that it was uh nine to five and i didn't have any choice didn't matter you know yeah. the the weather was good and i wanted to be doing something else and i i couldn't couldn't do it when did you figure out in your in your life that you wanted or had to write? Like, is it something you've done your whole career? Or is it you know? Um, yeah, I mean, I I've always written since I was a child. It was always something I spent time doing, and I suppose when I when I was a teenager, I started writing songs, and that was where I put my energy. Um, and then later, I did. I, I did journalism. Um, so, so the full-time job I did was as a as a news reporter. Mm. Um, so so writing has has always been there. It's always been something I did, I, either part time or for for work. Um, and it just kind of happened when the f- first book came out. I realized, well, if I if I'm careful about this and do this right, I can I can scrape together a living. I can I can keep doing it. Mm-hmm. For the time being, at least. So, when you say you were, I did. you were a reporter, is that like uh, in print form? We're we talking radio, we're we talking TV. Yeah, it's for a local newspaper in Shetland. Yeah, mm, right. Makes sense. Um, when you're not on the water, when you're not spending time fly fishing, what are you normally doing? Oh, I I like um, 
I did quite a bit of walking and um, a lot, a lot of reading. You can imagine if you're a, mm-hmm. if you're a writer, then kind of reading is is part of the job, but also part of um, pleasure in life as as well. So, who do you like to and, read? Um, well, I read a lot, and I read. I kind of um, I move between reading fiction and and non-fiction i kind of switch back and forth quite a lot um so i i I read new books that are coming out and then there are um kind of writers that i love that i return to a lot um wendell berry is somebody who i read a lot of um yeah how big of a part in your writing is the travel experience Hmm. Well, you said earlier that that kind of the the recurring theme or thread in in my work has been writing about place. That's sort of the the central idea of the. You know, I've written four books and they're all completely different from each other. But that that is the thread. They're all in one way or another about the connections that people feel to places and so inevitably travel um is is part of that and my my first book 60 degrees north was a travel book um in some ways it was quite a traditional travel book i i took a a, a particular journey around the world following this line of latitude, 60 degrees north from Shetland, my home, and then visiting all of the other countries that lie at, at that same latitude. Wow. So that was a that was a big project. And... <laughs> yeah, that's, that, you, you might be understating that a little bit. I find that fascinating. That's something I think about a lot. And uh even in the winemaking world, I think of that. I look, okay, so these these regions lie in this latitude, and there's there's mm. there's there's a common theme. But I sense as as you traveled, what what did you find on on that book? So sixty degrees north, following that sixty degree line, was there a lot of common denominators on that journey, or was it like this is this is you know maybe some climates are similar, but what was your takeaway of that? So, yeah, I mean, for for folk who don't have the the map ingrained in their head, I mean, I'll I'll go through it. So, if you go if you go west from the Shetland Islands, the first place you come to is actually Greenland, wow. um, the the far south of Greenland, and then to Canada, where sixty degrees north is kind of separates the the, the northern territories from southern provinces mm-hmm. um and then alaska and then russia and then finland sweden and norway um now there's obviously a lot of differences between these places but i suppose the one thing that ties them together is that wherever you are at that latitude the climate can be tricky oh. you know it's it's not ideal agricultural land usually yeah usually um and so communities that have grown up in these places have had challenges 
placed upon them by by the climate. Um, and that can create communities that are in some ways quite similar because they often tend to be sort of to some degree isolated from each other. So, you know, thinking about Canada, I went to um, a town called Fort Smith, which mm-hmm. is um in officially in the Northwest Territories, obviously it lies on the borderline, um, and it's in the middle of the forest. And so, in some ways, geographically, you know, it feels completely different from where I grew up, which is a small island. You, know, you can see the sea all of the time. Mm-hmm. But in other ways, the community there was actually very similar because this is a this is a small town that is pretty isolated from other towns and so it has an island like feel to it right and so there was this sense of familiarity for me that i that i really didn't expect when i went there um and there's quite a lot of that at that at that latitude there's there are these sort of isolated communities and there's obviously exceptions you know St. Petersburg is at 60 degrees north. <laughs> St. Petersburg is not like anywhere else at 60 yeah. degrees north. It's it's funny where we choose to build our cities, if you look back. It, <laughs> it, I find that fascinating. I, you said something, though, um, I don't know if it was from the book or, or basically on another podcast, but when somebody lives in isolation, they don't necessarily think of it that way, <laughs> which I thought, it's true. I mean, you live where you live, that's your home. And you may or may not be familiar with that unless you go to, well, St. Petersburg or somewhere <laughs> somewhere like that, right? Yeah. The, and this this is something I think about a lot. You know, I, I try and avoid using the word remote because the, the word remote always insists on the question, well, remote from what? Remote from where? I think that people who live in communities, whether it be islands, towns, villages, whatever, that are um, distant or isolated from other communities, feel that their own place is central. You know, they, they don't necessarily feel remote. They feel central. So that's my novel, um, which is set in, in Shetland, is called The Valley at the Center of the World. And that's, that's Part of the idea is is of that is that you, when you live within this small community, that community is the center of your world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fair. That book, sixty degrees north, uh, Malachi Talik, we have on the line, author of uh, well many books, sixty degrees north, the valley at the center of the earth, just referred to now, illuminated by water. Which man, that's. Uh, the title grabbed me, to be honest with you. How hard was it for you to come up with that title? Is that something you started with or finished with? Um, it came quite early, to be honest. You know, t- titles, sometimes um, you really struggle to find the right one, and sometimes they just fall into your lap. Mm-hmm. Um, and with with this book, I think it was in one of the very first chapters, I was writing about this slightly odd feeling, slightly odd sense of looking back on my life and the fact that I remember days fishing with huge 
clarity, with a kind of clarity that I don't have for many other days. You know, I can look back and I can remember really clearly the very first time I went fishing. I can remember days I went fishing when I caught nothing. I can remember days when I was nine years old fishing, and I can hardly remember any other days when I was nine years old. <laughs> oh, yeah. um, so there's this sense that fishing is the, these bright moments in my past. And and I was just writing about this, and I just wrote, that I, you know, looking back, I feel like my life is illuminated by water. And I thought, as soon as I wrote that sentence and put the full stop, I thought, there's my title. Got it. Yeah. No need to think anymore. It's a great title. I, I was reading, I'm fascinated by water, not just in a fishing perspective, but what water is. I mean, it's basically our one of the main life forces that we have. It, without it, we have nothing. Um I, w I was reading a book by, it was a Japanese author, and I think it was called Hidden Messages in Water. But basically he was talking about how when we're born, we're like 90% water. Um, the older we get, the less percentage of water. And when we die, we'll be less than 50% water. And I thought, I don't know why that really hit me on the head like a hammer. I'm just like, water. And then he takes these photographs of the different areas of the world, like from... Um, you know, any religious significant, say, water, and he'll freeze it and take these pictures. And the, the, the way the crystals form, depending on his, he kind of suggests the theory is the energy that surrounds those places affects the water. And I just, that really boggled my mind. I don't know. Hmm. Have you ever heard of that? I haven't. No, it's a, you know, that's a fascinating, assuming it's true, it's a fascinating fact that we, the, the older we get, the lower the percentage of water. That's incredible. Yeah, well, in his theory, at least kind of what it was saying to me, is the more water in your life, the, the, first off, the healthier you usually are, the more life you have to live. I just, I just thought it was fascinating. But, mm. And I think that's another reason why sitting in, in a river or in a lock that lock's going to be there long after we're gone. You know, that the sound, the, I don't know, I just, I find it fascinating. And then the world of fish that we think we know something about, we really don't, but we, we try to understand it. And uh, I, I, I connected with so many of your chapters. The one on tying really hit me hard too, because, you know, with the pandemic, how, how a lot of people came and it sounds like you rediscovered your tying. Mm -hmm. Um, Let's talk about post-pandemic. So now things are, well, I don't know if we can even say that, but it feels a lot more normal than it did two years ago. It feels yeah, some like... some days it does, yeah. Yeah, exactly. It feels like we're getting back to kind of where we were. Have you been getting out a lot? Like, have you been spending a lot of time out? Yeah, a, a lot more. And, it, you know, writing the book brought, it, it revived... Um, passion in me for fishing and so once we were allowed to get out again i went out quite a lot and and some of those trips i, I write about in in the book um and and writing about trying to trying to learn new techniques as well um we're pretty lucky here in in scotland you know there's a, there's a lot of of good fishing and i've been i've been trying some of the rivers around me and um well we're we're actually moving house in a couple of months we're moving to a different 
part mm. of Scotland. And so I'm kind of looking forward to, to learning new places there as well. That's going to be part of kind of feeling at home in a new place. I think next year we'll be um, learning these new fishing spots. Mm. You know, something I like to do is, is get you to tell your story, paint a picture of your ideal day. So when you're out on the water, um, perhaps a lock that you're familiar with, paint us a picture, Malachi, of what that's like. Who are you with? What kind of flies are you throwing? I mean, I, I suspect a hedgehog sounds like it might, might be on the end of the line. But but paint us a little picture of, of your perfect day in your mind on the water. So I had a pretty perfect day's fishing this summer when I was when I was home. So where I live, I nearly always fish on my own. But when I go home to Shetland, I fish a lot with my brother. And we've been fishing together since we were, since we were very young. And I, I love fishing with Rory. It's great. Um, and so we went out <clears throat> and we went to, to a loch that, that I had never been to before. Um, Shetland is a small place, but it has hundreds of lochs. So you can spend your life trying out new ones if you want to. Um, and this was a loch that he had kind of stumbled across in, in the hills. Um, and he he told me that it had good fish in it, and I believed him. Um, and so we set off up into the hill together. And almost as soon as we got there, this big trout jumped and that's all you need really isn't it that's all you need to, oh, yeah. to for the start of a great day is just to know that they're there <laughs> there's that hope there's and that to, hope right yeah to feel that that excitement um that something amazing might might happen and um i mean sure enough we 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 caught a couple of these really good sized fish like two, two pound brown trout they were um and you're up there in the hills and you don't really hear any human noise you're you're away from the the, the complications of 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 day-to-day -day life and you're in, in Chapman certainly you're sur surrounded by you're hearing birds all the time and it's the, you know that's that's a perfect day for me. Sounds pretty good. Yeah. There's something about those two pound trout too. You know, like <laughs> sometimes the bigger they get, they might get a little darker. Maybe they don't fight as much. I don't know what it is, but those clean kind of chrome fish that are in that two pound range, I would take those fish all day. Yeah, I I agree. And another thing, you know, sometimes when I've caught bigger fish. The fight takes longer. The fish is more exhausted when it gets in, and you want to put it back. And I sometimes get a bit of a, kind of a feeling of of guilt sometimes when I put a fish back that's mm -hmm. a bit more tired than I would like it to be. Um, and so, you know, you don't get that with the with with the smaller fish. And so, I, I mean, yeah. I, I don't talk of two pound fish as smaller fish. Really, those are those are good trout. <laughs> Well, I think an honest two-pound fish, let's face it, some of us can, can exaggerate <laughs> a little bit, but an honest two-pound fish is a big fish anywhere. Yeah. Anywhere. Yeah. 
Yeah, love it. Um, when you look at where we're at as a group, and by that I mean fly fishers, like where where mm-hmm. the where the pastime is now. Are we in a good place in your mind? Because there have been a lot of people come to the water recently. It feels that way. Uh, it feels like we've gone through a really big growth kind of, you know, last five, ten years in my mind. Where are we at as a group, do you think? Yeah, I I don't know if that's happened in the UK. Uh, and I'm maybe not kind of hmm. plugged into the fishing community enough to be sure about that, but I haven't noticed that here when i go out the people i see fishing are still usually older than me and i'm in my early 40s um i don't see so many younger anglers i never see women fishing here and that is something that i think is a shame and i do hope that that is is changing um I think one good thing I see is that um, anglers and and fishing clubs are getting involved, and to some extent they've always been involved. But I think there's a there's a real push on environmental issues. I think that um, fishing clubs are are really becoming a strong voice in fights against pollution and so on and the the damage of of climate change and i think that that's that's a very good thing Mm, yeah well said yeah um so let's get back to the book um in reading this book something right off the get-go you said something that really stuck with me because i i mean i i have i'm surrounded by books in in my uh tying room where i'm talking to you from and I, I look at them, and I, I, I may refer to them from time to time, but um, you talk about Isaac Walton's um, A Complete Angler. And, and I think the quote was something like, it's the, supposedly it's the third most reprinted book in the English language behind the Bible. And I was like going, holy, I had no idea. Um, so th- there's a market for this book, <laughs> I guess you're <laughs> saying. I, I found that fascinating. I don't know why. I would never would have pegged that as a as such a big well, read around the planet. It's, it's it's one of those facts <laughs> I've put in inverted commas facts um, that you you find online and you find repeated, but I I haven't ever seen the the evidence for this. And you know, part of it's just that it's a very old book long out of print and so it has been reprinted often whether it is printed quite as much as as that suggests i don't know and how many people actually read the complete angler these days (laughs) i i i don't know it's certainly not it's certainly not a book i would recommend to a new angler as as the one to get them into the into the hobby yeah you were talking about a little bit too about how fishing with nymphs was frowned upon and i started thinking about that and i started thinking like that doesn't make any sense sure it's nice to have a fly you know a dry fly have a trout come up but i mean i i struggled one thing i struggled with as a kid with fly fishing is there was a bit of attitude that kind of was inherent in it and i think i don't want to say it's gone the way of the dodo bird but 
I choose to catch fish a lot of different ways, not only with a fly. It's the way I prefer to do it if I can, and I do think it can be as productive, if not more productive, than any other method of fishing. But that's one thing I, I struggle with, Malachi, is the fact that we're all spending time on the water. We're all trying to catch fish. Does it really matter how we do it? Well, th- this is the thing. I write in the book about how what makes fishing a sport is that we impose arbitrary restrictions on ourselves. You know, going fly fishing is different from chucking dynamite in a river. <laughs> you know, both of them can end up with oh. the same thing, fish on the bank, but 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 they're quite different activities. Um, and part of the, the pleasure of fishing is that you impose these restrictions on yourself about what you are and are not allowed to do um those are the kind of the rules about what is sporting and what is not sporting and that those rules have obviously changed over time and those rules um are different for different people um and at one point in the early 20th century for a lot of people in the south of england fishing with nymphs was just completely unacceptable <laughs> it sounds funny to I, me. I don't know why that sounds funny to me i, I mean it's 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 ridiculous really but you know there are still chalk streams in england where you're not allowed to fish with nymphs you're only allowed to fish with a dry fly and you're only allowed to fish to a uh, uh, to cast to a, a fish that you have seen rising hmm. um and it's yeah it's ridiculous but i think there are there are people who feel similarly about things like check nymph thing mm-hmm. maybe today there are people who feel similarly about any use of an indicator they <laughs> see that as as float fishing yeah. and these the, but these rules are completely arbitrary <laughs> but the rules are part of what makes fishing fishing <laughs> yeah it's fascinating to me I don't know why, but uh, I think what you're talking about, that history, is kind of where a lot of that started, because I know, I remember when I first started, because I I fish similar waters to you in the, um, I don't fish a lot of moving water, I fish a lot of, as you'd say, locks or reservoirs or small Mm -hmm. dams or small lakes, and Canada is full of water, so you're never going to run out of places to go where I'm at, if that makes sense. But and mm-hmm. and and the one thing that I do think about a lot, because my family originally was from the UK, is accessibility. I I, I went over with my wife for a holiday in, in parts of the Midlands, and it was like, well, you can't fish there. You can't fish there mm-hmm. because it's private. Everything's owned. Mm-hmm. Um, the the fishing kind of map as to where you can and can't go there is a lot different than than parts of north america is that fair yeah, it, it's it's really different yeah um and funnily enough you know this is something about being in growing up in shetland that i i, I suppose i didn't realize at the time that how unique it is but you know you pay one fee at the beginning of the year and you have access to all of these hundreds of locks you fish in any of them that's extremely unusual you know in mainland scotland where i i live now basically every different piece of water you have to pay a different 
fee and some of them it's you pay for the day and some of them you can buy a license for the for the season but it really adds up if you if you want to fish in lots of different places through a year then you've got to pay pay a lot of money to to do it and it you know i i, I write in the book about how that there's that tension between um the, the tension in scotland in particular where we have this amazing right to roam essentially you know you can walk everywhere um you can walk on people's private property so you can go to any piece of water you want to you just can't necessarily fish in it yeah yeah i think and and where i'm at a lot of that is different it's like if that river or stream happens to run through private land which you know a lot do whether it's a ranch or whatever but you could still drift it you can still you know usually Uh as long as you're not accessing or say anchoring um the land so it's kind of the opposite issue yeah it's like that river you can't own that river there there are some exceptions to that rule but to me it seems silly that we should be able to own a moving piece of water that flows that river doesn't know where it's going and that river might change right i mean uh i've seen that happen in my life too where there's been uh say a landslide or something and the river literally moved 100 meters or more um Mm -hmm. it doesn't know it's not supposed to go there right i mean yeah yeah and i mean you know there's there's a long history and particularly in the UK, maybe particularly in in Europe, I, I I don't know so much about other countries in Europe, but of deliberate exclusion of certain people from from the water. I mean, this this was the the point was that you were excluding the masses from coming and taking your fish away, um, mm-hmm. and that we still have the kind of lingering hangover from that. You, you say that, so when you get your license, or I'm not sure exactly what you call it, but for the year in, in your area, you know, that enables you to hit lots and lots of different locks. Well, roughly, what would a what would that cost a year? Just out of curiosity. So, it, it as I say, Shetland is unusual. In Shetland, if I remember rightly, you pay £30 for a year, and you have access to... Um, I guess at least 300 locks. Wow. Now, you compare that to where I live now. There's a river that runs through our town, and I paid um, close to £200 for a year's license for that one river. Hmm. And it, it varies an awful lot. There's another river 10, 15 miles away, and that's £20 for a year. So you, you kind of take your choice about um, one place is better than another. One place maybe has more salmon. One place maybe has more trout. And you just, yeah, it's it's really complicated. You won't want to know that I think I pay $35 for the year. Like I think $10 goes to habitat conservation. Mm-hmm. And we can fish anywhere in the province, essentially. That's, uh, yeah, it's, it's just the accessibility. Now, they're starting to change things. Obviously, you need tags. If you want to fish for salmon, you need certain tags. Mm-hmm. If you want to fish now, if you want to fish Blue Ribbon Trophy waters, that requires um, a special tag. But uh, it's fascinating to me how, how these... Uh, well, how did you verbalize... Um, you just said the, the rules of fly fishing seem... What was, it was, what was the word you used? 
arbitrary. Arbitrary. Yeah. I think there's a lot of that, right? It's it just seems random, you know. Um but maybe it, go ahead. Yeah, it it really does seem random. And a lot of it here does have to do with salmon. So you pay a lot in this particular river because it has more salmon than the next river. Um and if if you're somebody like me who really is only interested in going for trout, then sometimes you still have to pay for the salmon even if you don't want them. Yeah, yeah, I get that. <laughs> yeah, good stuff. So where can we find the book? Where's the best place? Um, I mean, obviously, uh, I'm sure uh, Amazon, it's available there. But when, if, if we were to buy your book and support you, where, where's the best place we can find it? Well, always for, for authors, the, the, the best place is a, a local bookshop. And you're supporting the local bookshop and you're supporting the author. We get more that way. But it is available on any of the online shops where you can find books. Mm-hmm. Good stuff. How important in your mind, see, that's like a fly shop to me, the local bookshop. Mm-hmm, it's, it's a gathering place and it's such a... Yeah. We got a used bookstore in the town I'm at, and it it is huge. I think it's the largest used bookstore in Western Canada, and I spend hours in there, specifically in the fishing section, because there's you'll find uh, you know the complete angler. Some of these books that have been in print for hundreds of years, they look cool on a shelf, but it just shows shows how long we've been talking about this very thing that you captured in illuminated by water, and probably will continue to do so for. For the next couple hundred years and more. <laughs> Thanks for taking the time today, Malachi. I, I really appreciate it. And um, nice work with the book. I, I wish you an amazing fishing season, what's left of it. And um, thanks for sharing your words with us. I appreciate it. Oh, thank you. It's been great to talk. The Fly Fishing 97 podcast is brought to you by theflycrate.com. Thank you for listening to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. Your feedback matters. Let us know if there's a person or topic you'd like discussed. Email us at mark at flyfishing97.com. Until next time, tight lines and we'll see you on the water. Mm-hmm.